1: At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
0: When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at kroger.com boost. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, This is the X Zone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at com On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour is Russ Reina, And uh, we're going to be talking to Russ about his new book. It's entitled Moments in the Death of a Flesh Mechanic and a Healer's Rebirth. Um, it, it, Russ is a a um, a pioneer in the field of emergency medical services, and co-founder of the first AFL CIO union affiliation with EMS workers, the California Paramedics Association. He is a community leader of the world's largest online forum for EMTs and the author of Moments in the Death of a Flesh Mechanic: A Healer's uh, rebirth and two websites, Exonation, www.russreina.com, that's R U S S R E I N A dot com, and www.firetender.org. Doi- joining us now from Hawaii is Russ Reina. And Russ, welcome to the Exxon.
2: Well, good day. How are you today, Rob?
0: I'm just doing great, To uh, Russ. Uh, what was the inspiration for writing your book, Moments in the Death of a Flash Mechanic?
2: Well, uh, it was uh, involvement in 12 years of emergency medicine uh, as one of the very first paramedics in the country, and it rocked every aspect of my life, uh, ways that I never anticipated happening, and uh, I was compelled. I I guess I'm a writer, and I'm stuck with that, and I was compelled to... uh, really explore it and understand my experience and as time went on uh, it became more and more important for me to get the word out and have people understand what an incredible world it is working on the edge of life and death.
0: Now Russ you've been been, uh, accused of uh, being the paramedic that breaks the dangerous code of silence in the medical profession. What does this mean to you?
2: Well The culture of medicine as a whole is one of silence to each other, especially when it comes to dealing with the aspects of the work that rocks your life. Um, The things that uh, a lot of people experience, things that they will not find anywhere else, and they don't really even know how to express these things to other people. Um, and especially amongst themselves. If, they, if, if such things knock them off balance, uh, there's no venue for them to talk about it. Uh, you can't really speak about things that rock your world because you will be perceived as someone who can't do the work, who can't just uh, be quiet and do the work and not be emotionally, psychically, or spiritually affected by it. So breaking the code of silence is all about just, just talking about the, to me, uh, working on the extremes, everyday things that happen to people, that people experience the trauma, the incredible horror of other people's suffering, and also some of the uh, psychic exposures that you uh, go through. Uh, so many of these things are not spoken about, and it burns out a lot of medics.
0: Russ, you and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. We'll be right back. Exxon Nation, Russ Reina is our special guest. A couple of websites, www.russreina.com. That's R-U-S-S-R-E-I-N-A.com. And www.firetender.org. Russ is the author of Moments in the Death of a Flesh Mechanic, A Healer's Rebirth. Both Russ and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break in two minutes as the Exxon continues from... Our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, I'm going to be at the Body, Soul, Spirit Expo May 25th to 27th at the International Centre right across the street from Pearson International Airport at 6900 Airport Road in Mississauga. www.BodySoulSpiritExpo.com We'll be back in two. Don't go away. Explanation. Uh, Russ Arena is our special guest. Uh, he's the author of "Moments in the Death of a Flesh Mechanic: A Healer's Rebirth." www.russarena.com and www.firetender.org. Russ, how does a paramedic or anyone in the emergency first responders profession deal with the high amount of stress and the personal, the personal? Uh, Disasters that they that they see on a daily basis.
2: The directive is: uh, you have to be ready for the next call. That uh, the experience of the human emotions during the call uh-huh. often happen underneath the surface uh, as you're doing what needs to be done and evaluating the patient, and then making a determination as to what you need to do and when and how and how fast, all that is going on on the surface. But underneath, you your heart is being affected. In some cases, your heart is getting pummeled. Now, at the time, you've got to focus on the work. So that's where your complete attention is going. Where the reverberations come is when you get home. You know, I mean, you can be shook up during a call and you can, you know, let your partner know a little bit about what's going on, you know, and that would come out something like, boy, that was a tough one. Uh, But then you go home alone at night, and that's where you have some very important choices to make. You can either face what you experienced and try and work through it a little bit, or you can avoid it, or you can go into denial, or you can... Uh, uh, lubricate yourself with Mm -hmm. alcohol or any number of avoidance techniques you know so uh, the big problem is that there's no one out there uh, teaching medics how to work through this stuff uh, with each other Uh, it's not a part of the culture uh, like we already spoke about Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a culture of silence and uh, medics are left to suffer alone and figure it out on their own. And that's what, uh, cumulatively, that builds up, and it drags a lot of medics down.
0: Russ, what are some of the changes in the medical profession, let's say in the last 50 years, from hands-on caring into a litigation-driven, corporate-controlled, impersonal personal machine?
2: When I was uh, growing up in Brooklyn, In Mm -hmm. the 1950s, medical care was or taking care of the sick and injured, ill and deformed, uh, debilitated was something that was somewhat evenly spread um, out of the extended family that um, if a family member were to get ill, Mm -hmm. the aunt's. And uncles would gather from all over the five boroughs and they would come down and uh, somebody would do the cooking, the cleaning, and somebody would take care of some uh, recipes or home remedies or folk remedies. But generally, the family was there and the extended family was there and people had somewhere to turn in their immediate environment. If things got really bad, a doctor would make a house call. All of these things were about connection. All of Mm -hmm. these things were people reaching out for help and then finding some, uh, some people to get them through that trauma. Well, as the years have gone by, medicine has gotten out of the hands of the general populace that uh, we've believed in the shamanism of the physician and uh, give them all the power when it comes to healing us. And the physicians have grouped together Mm -hmm. in these large institutions that we call hospitals. And that seems to be the only place that you can go now. As the hospitals have become more and more complex, and especially in the United States, litigation-driven, they've become institutions, and the the, the personal connection is gone. And that drives a lot of people to emergency rooms because they are looking for some sort of connection with someone who cares and that will take care of them when all of this used to be held up by the community at large.
0: What type of personal litigation possibility are, are, are you as an EMS or a first responder faced with every time that you go out and respond to a call?
2: Well, you know what, uh, first to clarify, I've been out of the field since 1985, but I'm keeping track of what's Mm -hmm. going on in the industry with the medics today through emtlife.com, where I'm a community leader. And the interesting thing about that is that the medics are always talking about fear of litigation, Mm -hmm. but the actual amount of litigation that goes on is minuscule. Very rarely is, is a, a medic uh, pulled out and sued, and um, I don't even know of one successful lawsuit, really, against a medic in the, in the process of doing their duty. So really, it's an atmosphere of fear, in in, in my impression, because it really doesn't happen that, that very much. There are, in the United States, in particular, good Samaritan laws mm-hmm. that will protect a medic while they're off duty if they should intervene in an accident or medical emergency, you know, up to the level of their experience and ability to perform. So uh, I see a lot more fear than I see reality, but... Um, when you hear of just one case of somebody initiating a lawsuit that goes nowhere, of course, mm-hmm. everybody freaks out.
0: Is there an abuse of the emergency medical services, uh, Russ?
2: They use uh, abuse is is a word that's commonly used, but in the United States, in particular, I would say that uh, maybe that's not quite accurate because the system is set up that there's only one place that you can bring your patient, and that's the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the emergency room once was geared towards very serious life and death situations. Now it's, they're pretty much for whatever ails you. And many of the things that people flock to emergency rooms for are things that that they could take care of themselves. I mean, such a common occurrence is a baby having a fever. Um, People don't know what to do. They, They just don't have a handle on that, and there isn't the a uh, larger community support that will help and you know this is a very simple thing we can take care of it like this but uh... they don't know what to do they call nine one one and they end up uh... taking the kid to the hospital uh, we would call this abuse but i see it more as uh... the emergency rooms are not being specialized in emergency anymore and they're taking, they're they're being overdosed with patients that have nowhere else to go because we haven't set up secondary facilities. But but is
0: this actually so, is this actually affecting the quality of life and medical care as well as the cost to the patient when it comes time to pay the bill?
2: Oh, completely, Com- completely, uh, because the uh, uh, the emergency rooms are so often bogged down by non-emergent cases, uh, chronic cases. The um, When I was a medic back in the 70s and 80s, there were a lot of people out in the world that were just kind of dropping dead. They were having a lot of acute illnesses and they were just keeling over and we would intervene on the streets. Now, with uh, pharmacology, growing the way it has, and medications going toward maintenance of people. So what medics are dealing with are a lot of chronic illnesses, uh, a lot more chronic than acute illnesses, and that is what the emergency rooms are being uh, dealing with. And because of the expense of this, uh, prices are going up, so it's astronomical to make a visit to an emergency room now.
0: What are some of the medical techniques that you used to use to save lives that are now extinct?
2: The uh, ironic thing is that uh, as I was going through the last version of my book, I mm-hmm. decided to check into the EMT world. This is about five years ago. And uh, going through the list of drugs that they used, I was amazed to find out. Literally, 90% of the drugs that I used to save lives in 1980 have been uh, debunked, that they're not using them anymore, that they did not uh, produce what are called good patient outcomes. In fact, uh, what they would do is act as a temporary replenishment of energy, but the rebound effect of that adjustment would throw the patient into a more chronic state uh, making their quality of life much, much worse. And we didn't know that at the time. 25 years have gone by and then they're looking at these medications and they've taken most of them out of the drug box of paramedics. Uh, and yet I saved lives with these drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, that that I feel confident that that at certain points I, I was able to save lives. But uh, modern science has debunked so many of them. It's been astounding. Let's put it this way: they even took the A and B out of the A B C's of CPR. There's no air, airway. There's no more breathing. It's all circulation. And that was uh, that was the way things were done back there. Was uh, uh, breaths and airway and circulation as an integral part of it and then you pump them full of epinephrine and then sodium bicarbonate more epinephrine and then defibrillate over and over and over again no more epinephrine no more sodium bicarbonate no more lidocaine to uh, calm down an irritable heart these have all been found to be to produce negative long-term effects
0: Unreal. Russ, please stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exo Nation, Russ Reina is our special guest. He's the author of Moments in the Death of a Flesh Mechanic, A Healer's Rebirth. A couple of websites, www.russreina.com. That's R-U-S-S-R-E-I-N-A.com. And www.firetender.org. Russ and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
1: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network,
0: Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Russ Rain is our special guest. We're talking to Russ about his book entitled, Moments in the Death of a Flush Mechanic. A Healer's is re- birth, and uh, two websites, www.rusreina.com and www.firetender.org. Russ, what was it like for you as a paramedic working in the back of an ambulance, basically at times having a tug of war with God?
2: That is, um, all of that is a subjective experience that I had that, uh, Other medics do occasionally hint at Mm -hmm. the idea that you're out there and you arrive on the scene, a patient is dead, you start intervening and the patient starts to come back, and then all of a sudden something goes sour, blood pressure drops again or pulse stops again, Mm -hmm. and then you're working on the void trying to bring them back, and then all of a sudden... You know, uh, you have success, and just before you get to the hospital, the patient crashes again. So it is, a, it is a, a uh, it does literally feel like a tug of war in that uh, the uh, the creator wants that patient dead, and uh, you get to the scene and you say, no, I'm I'm going to save that life, and you work on it, you put your heart and soul into it and use the best that technology has to offer, and then uh, God takes another round. And then all of a sudden, uh, things can switch, and you become the victor. And then three days later, you find out that the patient died anyhow. Uh, you're, you're caught between uh, – uh, it's, it's a very challenging place to be mm-hmm. to not subjectivize it and make it to feel like it's personal. And that's one of the things that uh, a lot of medics have to face out there is this is not personal. It's not a war between me and God. That uh, God is, uh, however you would determine that, is uh, relatively indifferent when it comes to that, and everybody passes on. But when you're in the midst of it, uh, it often does feel like that.
0: I was wondering if... You, as a paramedic, have ever had any experiences or come across something that just seems out of this world? For example, I've talked to members of the of the first responders in Canada and the United States, and a couple of them have told me stories that can only be classified as angelic intervention. And I was wondering if you had ever had any of these type of experiences or heard of any.
2: Well, you know... Uh one of the things that I had to deal with about being a paramedic is that kind of medicine, that stuff is so very grounded. Mm-hmm. And then around it happens some very strange stuff that you could only say you can only sit back and like wonder. Uh, one call that comes to my mind is that uh, one day uh, uh, these two twin sisters. We're jogging along the beach, uh, not too far from Daytona Beach in Florida. And what is called a rogue cloud, I mean, basically, in Florida, you would have uh, a completely clear sky, very wispy clouds way off in the distance, and all of a sudden you would see a, a dark cloud coming from out of nowhere. It's small, relatively confined, and it would go along, and then it would send down a lightning bolt out of nowhere. Mm. Uh, uh, I have heard of those phenomena at one time or another, but at one point one of our ambulances uh, was responding to a call where two twin girls were jogging along the beach. A a rogue cloud came. A lightning bolt came out and struck one of them dead. The ambulance uh, got onto the scene, and uh, the medics... We're not aware that there were two twin sisters doing, you know, uh, jogging and one mm-hmm. being affected. So the paramedic was in the back, and he's doing CPR on uh, the twin, and then all of a sudden as he's doing CPR on her, her twin comes at the back and puts her face there, and he's looking down at the face of the girl that he's working on, and he's looking at the back door, and there is the face of that same girl and uh, he was pretty shook up for a long, long time. But we do, we do see things, I mean, just the rogue cloud alone, but the idea of uh, what do you do with that information that you're sitting there and you're going, my God, uh, these are twin sisters. They're jogging right next to each other, and a lightning bolt comes out of nowhere and strikes one dead. What do you do with that? How do you reconcile that? You know, that's something that turns into a lifelong puzzle
0: when somebody i am sure that on many of the calls that you were responding to the the people were either had passed or were at death's door has anybody ever given you their their dying confession as you've responded to these calls
2: uh, very good question uh one of the chapters of the book the last chapter is called last words and uh My experience is very few last words Mm -hmm. pass out of people's mouths. That, uh, um, you know, the most devastating experience I had ever had of that was a young man that was, uh, basically had his leg amputated by an oil rig, uh, by the counterweight of an oil rig. And uh, as we were all struggling to save the, the kid's life uh, on the way into the ambulance he looked up at me and he said i'm cold and that was it wow. nothing philosophical nothing and then he lost consciousness and that's been my general experience with last words that uh people really <laughs> when you're dying you don't have a whole heck of a lot of energy to uh philosophize about anything or to pass on any information. That's largely something that you see in movies and read in books to move the plot forward.
0: How different are the actual responding to a call compared to those that we see on TV?
2: That's an interesting question because uh, the reality shows Uh, Of course, they show all the action of a call. Mm -hmm. Now, the part that uh, I felt it was important, I think it's important for the public to understand what the medics go through inside, and that is what is not portrayed. It's hardly portrayed in books about the industry by medics themselves. Uh, They still keep with that kind of macho attitude and relate the calls, and they're interesting but uh, the internal stuff is kind of missing. Uh, I did see a, um, a a show produced about New Zealand paramedics, and they incorporated into that the emotional lives of the medics as they were going. It's very, very rare to see. But uh, I'm hoping that I'm just one part of a little movement that will uh, make the public more aware. Uh, so that they can help support medics as they get the help that they need to deal with these kind of traumas.
1: What
0: about, uh, I, I, I understand that uh, um, the majority of, of motor vehicle accidents, in you know, have uh, a lot of head injuries, and that some of the head injury horrors that medics and EMTs and first responders see are just unbelievable.
2: That's uh, completely true. Um, Hand uh, you know, the the one scene that that comes out in my mind was uh, responding to a multiple vehicle accident. And uh, as I was taking care of uh, some minor people, the medics in the uh, ambulance in front of me, We were struggling with a guy who had part of his head ripped off. Uh, He actually had brain matter visible, and he was fighting with him. It looked like something out of Frankenstein. It was just absolutely horrific. And then you have to ask yourself, you know, what is this miracle uh, called the brain? What happens when you take it out? Mm -hmm. What happens when you... Uh, damage it severely what is left what is what is left of that person and we see that quite a bit you know and uh, it's questions that we all ask ourselves but the questions don't go any further
0: throughout your your years as an EMT what is the most memorable moment that you can share with us
2: I was called out into the boondocks of Florida, uh, and uh, we were called for uh, a woman possibly delivering. And everywhere that we turned, we made the wrong turn. It took us about 20 minutes to get to the house. We finally got to the house, we burst in the door, and then uh, in the middle of of the kitchen floor is a woman uh, in in a pool of blood, and she has an ecstatic smile on her face, and she's holding her baby (laughs) that she just delivered herself. And she said, Sorry, you guys are too late. I just had to take care of it myself. (laughs) And I'll never, never, ever forget the incredible expression on that woman's face Uh, the joy of delivery. I never saw anything more beautiful in my life. Yeah.
0: Did you remain in contact with any of the people that that you attended to as an EMT?
2: Not, you know, in twelve years of uh, well, when I when I lived in uh, Florida, mm-hmm. uh, it was a. Uh, one ambulance town. We had an ambulance, a house that we lived in, and then the town was in our care. And we were like the golden boys of the town. And for the five years that I was there, I really did get to know quite a few of my patients. And uh, uh, we participated in their lives. I mean, I was even pallbearers at funerals of people that Mm -hmm. had no one to be pallbearers at. It was a very intimate experience. But when I moved away from Florida... Uh, and got involved in Santa Barbara, California, it was more uh, uh, you know, uh, spread out so that I, I didn't have that kind of, of contact. And uh, as far as like twice in my career did a patient whose life I had saved ever make an effort to find out who I was and to thank me. You know, so there's very mm-hmm. little, very, very little uh, follow-through interaction, and even less thanks.
0: About how many, how many um, runs did you do as an EMT?
2: How many runs?
0: Yes. How many? How many? Oh. How many, how many uh, calls did you respond to?
2: Oh my gosh! Well, I had a career of twelve years, yeah. so. It could be anything from uh, uh, areas where there are three to five calls a week to uh, areas where I'm running maybe 10 calls a day wow. in a 24-hour shift, 10, 10 plus. You know, I mean, I've worked days where I've run 20 calls in 24 hours. When I worked, we run 24-hour shifts. So mm-hmm. it would usually be, you know, 24 on, 24 off, or 48 on, 48 off, or 72 on, 72 off. So it could get quite, quite, uh, you know, crazy. <laughs>
0: but if, but if you're a responder and you're responding to more than ten calls in a in a shift, doesn't that play on your ability to to perform your duties with the with the utmost professionalism?
2: Oh, totally. Well, you know, um, the uh, sleep deprivation, yeah. uh, uh, emergency medical services. People ha- are in the top five of all professions with sleep deprivation. It's a reality of the field. I mean, you just gotta go out there and perform. Now, there, there, uh, you know, when you talk about second wins and mm-hmm. third wins and, uh, and, and even catching your fourth win in the field, sometimes that's what happens. And, and sometimes it also puts you into a, a very, uh, strange zone, you know, uh, where uh, your body just kind of gives up and something else takes over. And, I and it, it seems to move through you and work with you. And you start doing things that you didn't even know that you were trained for. Uh, that, that is an experience that I've had a couple of times where, uh, especially during uh, an exhausting 24-hour shift uh, where I've been on the move for you know 18 of those mm-hmm. hours, I uh, come across a very critical situation, and uh, I'm really not there. I kind of disappear, and my body just takes care of everything on its own. It's like something much greater is moving through me.
0: Russ, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take a, uh, our final break here. Fascinating story. Great having you with us, Russ. And congratulations on a it. great book, Moments in the Death of a Flush Mechanic A Healer's Rebirth. A couple of websites, ExoNation, www.russreina.com and www.firetender.org. Russ Reyna and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton,
1: Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN TV. For more information on the X Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. 19 stocks in the saddle. 19 so in a.
0: nation uh, Russ Reina is our special guest. His website is That's www.russreina.com. That's www.ru dot com, and www.firetender.org. Russ is the author of "Moments in the Death of a Flesh Mechanic," "A Healer's Rebirth," and uh, first of all, Russ, thanks very much for being with us. It's been a great, uh, great hour, and uh, thanks for sharing some of the stories. That you, um, that you have shared with us over the past uh, hour. Russ, um, what is the final word that you'd like to leave with the Exxon Nation tonight?
2: Well, I have to say that uh, I wrote the book to work out some of my own experiences mm-hmm. and the end product of that turned into something where I realized that I was at a very pivotal time of medicine, uh, that transition from hands, head, and heart over to mechanically driven, litigation driven, pharmaceutically controlled uh, medicine. And the story that I told turned into a metaphor of this big change in medicine where people, both the patient and I think the practitioners to a certain degree, kind of lost touch with that and a lot of the conflicts that i was dealing with is uh how am i going to continue to be a human being in the back of an ambulance taking care of people that need my help uh versus dealing with all this technology dealing with all these machines dealing with all these drugs dealing with all of these directives that i'm put to do uh that that i'm forced to do And that is the central conflict. And and I think that uh, the the end work, it actually uh, has surprised me a little bit because it really does come in at a place in time when all of this was changing. And there I was, a guy stuck in the middle of it, and the book ended up to be writing about that. And I think that's instructive for everybody. People need to understand a little bit better Uh, about what it means to be in the skin of a paramedic uh, so that maybe they'll consider uh, rather than calling for uh, that little uh, sore throat uh, and have medics come over that they'll make an appointment with the doctor tomorrow and lessen the load on the field.
0: Russ, so we've come to the end of our hour again. Thank you very much. uh, Let our listeners know how they can get a copy of your book, uh, Moments in the Death of a Flush Mechanic, A Healer's Rebirth.
2: You can get it directly through com and also Amazon and Barnes & Noble. uh, For your Canadian listeners, uh, Amazon CA, Barnes & Noble CA would be able to have that. Just ask for Moments in the Death of a Flush Mechanic, Healer's Rebirth.
0: Russ, thanks very much uh, for being on the show, and to all the EMTs and first responders, thank you for being there for us. Take care, Russ.
2: Aloha, Russ.
0: Aloha. That's it uh, with our guest of this hour, Russ Reyna. Once again, he is the author of Moments in the Death of a Flesh Mechanic, A Healer's Rebirth, www.russreina.com or www.firetender.org. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.